Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It's Monday, June 8th, which means you're getting a second podcast today. Amazing. Uh, this podcast will cover the Franchise 5 AFC. Uh, the Franchise 5, for those that don't know, is our, like, repurposed, recycled Mount Rushmore thing. Because like Mount Rushmore is like four dudes on the mountain, like the best four in the franchise history. But we did a quarterback, a coach, and then three non-quarterbacks, um, position players. So, uh, it's a bit, you know, perplexing for like the Packers who have three Hall of Fame quarterbacks, uh, and a bit problematic for a team like the Buccaneers that have no Hall of Fame quarterbacks, unless you count Tom Brady, who I used. You can listen to the NFC one from last week in the feed. Make sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you to everyone for your kind comments. On the Drew Brees podcast that we did, I thought it was informative and a frank discussion, as Ryan Wilson pointed out. Um, to those that felt the need to leave single star, uh, too political reviews on the podcast, you sort of knew what you were getting. So why did, why did you have to listen? But thanks for the review anyway. I didn't see that coming at all. By the way, we're on YouTube now, a, uh, a separate pick six podcast, YouTube feed with all of our content. Uh, we will have video shows on there as well. Uh, subscribe. Eventually you can search for it, but just right now, the easiest way to do is to go to the pick, uh, twitter.com slash pick six pod. And, uh, that you should be able to find it there or in the Facebook group, uh, search for pick six podcast on Facebook. Today's show, uh, we have, by the way, the AFC and NFC East. Uh, all 32s in the feed. You can go back and listen to them. Those are pretty much evergreen, barring a Dak Prescott signing. Um, and we will have the AFC and NFC North this week. It's a team-by-team breakdown, very specific and, and concentrated, to take a deep dive into each NFL team over the course of the month of June. After the break, after we do the, the full Franchise 5 for the AFC, it'll be a little breach-on-breach breach action. John Breach bringing on his father, Jim Breach to discuss the Bengals franchise five separately. So we won't be talking about them. And then tomorrow morning, uh, on Tuesday morning, you can check out the all 32 discussion for the Bengals. So you'll get a historical breakdown of the Bengals of the breaches. And then tomorrow morning, you'll get, uh, a, um, or Tuesday morning, you will get a full uh, state of the Bengals as it were. So two breach, breach podcast. There's a decent chance that by this time next week, or maybe in two or three weeks that, that there's just a breach, a breach and breach show. Would you listen to that, Ryan and Sean? Would you listen to the breacher report? Yeah. Uh, one of the few people happier than, than John Breach is Jim Breach. So that would at least perhaps brighten your day. By the way, you mentioned the comments, Brinson. Uh, we had a few on, on the iTunes feed. I don't know if Depot has this one planned for a mailbag later, but I'm going to bring it up now because it's probably one of the best comments we've gotten in terms of being spot on. Uh, Mikey0143, awesome NFL po- podcast, great NFL content on a daily basis. Super friends make the show fun to listen to. 
He goes on, Brinson, for the love of God, stop interrupting when someone else is talking. Hey, now let's, let's settle down. <laughs> I'll give you this. You're consistent and do that to the super friends and all your guests. Thank you, Mikey0143, for preaching the truth. I like that, uh, Ryan, we're on a very similar wavelength because I was actually planning on saying the first thing today was actually going to be reading that review as well. So Again, I don't care. Um, I couldn't interrupt you there, actually. I was a little slow in the draw. I was going to mention it as well. Um, I don't know what... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, Tell us. What do you want me to say? Yeah, there's no solution. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to stop interrupting people. Not your stick. All right. Let's get to the franchise five. So again, the concept, as I mentioned off the top of the show, one quarterback, one coach, and three other players. Those three other players cannot be quarterbacks or coaches. Which, whatever. <laughs> um. You can read the articles on cbssports.com, AFC East on Monday, AFC North on Tuesday, AFC South on Wednesday, and AFC West on Thursday. Again, sort of overloading the reader right now, but that's okay. Uh, it's, it's four a day. It's a lot. You think the Bengals is getting red while the Steelers and Ravens are out there? I love the idea of Brenton not being down with reading four days in a row. <laughs> Only Tuesday, Thursdays, and maybe Sundays. No, but you can spread it out over the course of the whole off season. No, I know. Uh, that would, that's my only point. So anyway, uh, let's get down to business and talk about these. The AFC's most interesting ones. We touched on this one a little bit previously. Ryan, you mentioned the Steelers and you tried to circumvent the rules to shatter the rules and to ram jam Terry Bradshaw and Ben Roethlisberger in there. It turned into a, an office-wide fiasco, and you were forced to issue a company-wide apology for for not being willing to follow the rules. Yeah, the worst part is that Brian DiArta, the one of our writers at CBSSports.com, who's also a Steelers owner like myself, was on vacation and had to scramble to to fill in the holes when we had to unceremoniously cut Terry Bradshaw from the list, which sounds crazy. The man won four Super Bowls and instead roll with Ben Roethlisberger as our quarterback on this team. Um, different era, different time. Clearly the, the Steelers relied on the run early in Big Ben's career, but then that team became much more, that offense anyway, became much more about Big Ben's ability to throw the ball, whereas Terry Bradshaw uh, leaned on, on the running game for, for much of his career. Obviously, Franco Harris was a big part of that. So we roll with Ben Roethlisberger for our guy. Chuck Knoll was, was the head coach. That, that seemed like a slam dunk as well, even though both – Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin have, have been super successful coaches and probably at, uh, at other organizations, probably a number of them where either Cowher or Tomlin would have been the number one guy. Chuck Knoll was in Pittsburgh, Mean Joe Green, slam dunk, Troy Polamalu. Uh, I feel like that's slam dunk, but you could argue there, there are other guys there. Um, Rod Woodson got some votes. Um, Jack Ham, of course. Um, were, so. you try, were you trying to maximize the disrespect for our CBS colleagues? Like no Bill Cowher, no Bryant McFadden. I think uh, well, B Mac's going to talk about the Steelers, and if he puts himself on himself on the list, then I will apologize to B Mac. That would be so awesome. That would be. Like, that would be that and of would course, be, me. That would be better than the Tom Brady one for sure. And maybe, although Sean now has a defense for the Jay Cutler thing because Pro Football Reference uh, tweeted out that, that Jay Cutler deserved to be uh, on on what's the what's the exact was, wording of it, Sean? No, it's it's PFF war. Jay Cutler was the leader. And, but it's also people don't understand that 
every quarterback who has started the most games is probably going to lead war in, in NFL just because you play quarterback. Wait, PFF? PFF, PFF like, started, is correct. They said that, or you're just, no. you're just citing the stat? No, Brian is, yes. They did not defend my list. And no. I will say, Ryan, the good news about you not being able to put all those quarterbacks and all those coaches on the list is that people who read the article are definitely going to read the rules, so they won't tweet angrily right. at you about why you're leaving off these <laughs> Nothing people. to worry about there. Did yeah, not I mean, happen with the Bears. Again, like, th- that's the problem with this concept. And, uh, I mean, like, if we're going to – Jay Cutler ranks 22nd all-time on approximate value for Chicago Bears players. He's probably the – Maybe the 25th best player in Bears history? Does that seem about right? I mean, maybe even lower if you're not doing positional value. Yeah, I mean, like, who's more important to the Bears? like uh, Charles Tillman or Jay Cutler? I mean, Tillman was the better player. Right, for, exactly. For his position group, yeah, by right. far. What about Matt Forte or Jay Cutler? Uh, I think Forte was be- a better running back and Cutler was a quarterback. But Forte, Forte has his approximate value is higher than Tillman. Uh, what about Cordell Stewart? Or Jay Cutler. <laughs> oh, come on. He played uh, for the Bears for a year. I mean, I think you could make an argument that Josh McCown was a better quarterback than Jay Cutler if you wanted to. Uh, I mean, you could do that if you want to. We will give you the mic. <laughs> Although, I mean, but look, like Jay Cutler's higher on approximate value than like Gale Sayers. Right, and that's the whole point of that PFF war stat. It's, it's not approximate value, but if you are a average quarterback and you played for a long time for a team, you're going to have more value to that team than a superstar running back who had five good years. Okay, so if you're doing, let's say, let's say this is not, I don't know how we got off the, the how did we get back to Chicago? He brought even, up the PFF war. Yeah. Okay, so if you're doing, uh, the, the same example works for the, for the Steelers. Like if you're doing, um, if you're doing Mount Rushmore, cause like if you're doing the Mount Rushmore for the Bears, like Jay Cutler, it doesn't even make honorable mention. No, like no, you, you, you take out Cutler, you put Dicka on the list. Right, or like any number of dudes, but my point is for the Steelers, if you're doing Mount Rushmore, you're going with Bradshaw and Ben, Franco and – I mean, uh, Mean Joe Green and then Palomalu or, or – uh, What's that? Chuck Knoll. Oh, so you yeah, go Jack Chuck Knoll. Okay, okay, all right. That's fine. Yeah, so like for the Steelers, this exercise isn't necessarily bad, but it does suck that you're taking off like a multiple Super Bowl winning quarterback at the expense nine, of – Nine Super Bowl quarterback, right. A guy who won four Super Bowls. Right, yeah. exactly. Um but I mean, I don't mind the Steelers list. I think like, I think it does a, a fine job. In fact, the Steelers I might have been sort of the impetus for this is the idea like you can only do one quarterback. The idea is force people to pick. You 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 drive up debate when you force people to pick between Big Ben and 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 um and Terry Bradshaw. And and look, I would take I would take Big Ben all day long too. So I, I don't have a I don't have a problem with it. Can I ask you, Ryan? Did Heinz Ward or Antonio Brown get any votes? Or I guess James Harrison too. I'd throw it. No, there. we uh, we talked to three beat reporters, two beat reporters, and um, a, a local radio personality of covers the Steelers. And there were those, no, those people were, yeah, Jim Wexel, Dale Lally, Andrew Filipponi. No, no, no I, 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 in case people, presumably yeah, people, I understand. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, there were no uh, votes for A, B, and, and um, who was the other name you mentioned? Oh, Hines. Hines were in uh, Hines is in a tough spot. In much the same way, he's in a tough spot for the Hall of Fame. He did a lot of things really well, but he wasn't necessarily. I want to say that Hines is on BMAC's list. Okay, great. He played with, with Hines, and he has firsthand knowledge. And Hines was 
people, I mean, if you're not a Steelers fan, you understand why people hated Heinz Ward so much because he just blew up your team, and he did it with a smile, which is infuriating. But uh, he didn't put up the the raw numbers that Antonio Brown did when Antonio Brown was red hot and and over sustained period. And I think that's sort of the it's it's amazing that he was a fantastic blocking wide receiver. But is that gonna, enough to get you in the Hall of Fame? Is that enough to get you a member of the franchise five? What about James Harrison? That's a good one. He was not on there, but but I think that that's a good one. And I'm sort of surprised that he didn't even get any votes. But the, again, the Steelers won four Super Bowls. They've historically won a lot of football games. So then you have all these players to choose from, all these Hall of Famers, and and I do wonder what the what the conversation is if the if you have one player, James Harrison, Antonio Brown, or Heinz Ward, who would you take? Jeez, if you're 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 picking James Harrison or Heinz Ward, you have one player to add to this list. It can only be James Harrison, Antonio Brown, or Heinz Ward. Who are you taking? Hmm. I think, I, think AB, I go James Harrison. I think AB's automatic. I mean, yeah, AB's I mean, I would, I would definitely go James Harrison just because I think you could replace Heinz Ward easier on the football field than you could James Harrison. Heinz Ward was a huge security blanket for Big Ben early on. I know there were some issues sure. about them not getting along, but yeah. I mean, but I mean like James, James Harrison kind of single handedly won. Like his, if he didn't have the touchdown return against the Cardinals, they probably don't win the Super Bowl. Maybe not. I mean, it's a probably not. Yeah. I mean, Big Ben um, or the St. Well, home. because if he doesn't make that interception, the Cardinals probably score down there too, not to mention that it's a 14-point swing. So you would imagine they probably right. lose that game. I think that um, – I think it was uh, for BMAC on the on the show, uh, Jack Lambert, Chuck Knoll, Terry Bradshaw, mm. and Heinz Ward. Cool. Which is – I think that speaks to the Steelers thing is that it's – Who was the coach? Chuck Noll. Oh, Chuck Noll, you said. Okay. I also think that BMAC sort of tended to err on the side of uh, people in the past rather than current current folks, um, modern he folks. Took himself the trouble of having to answer text as to why he didn't say. That's that's sort of what I was thinking. Like he doesn't like you go <laughs> you go with you go with Noel and Bradshaw, so you don't have to hear from like like what a coward's going to call you and be like, how dare you leave me off this list? It's like, BMAC should have put Minka Fitzpatrick on the list that would be- <laughs> and, and have Frisco announce it. I know. Um, yeah, I, look, I would take Big Ben over Bradshaw, but I, I do think if you go, like, what I had to do ranking the Super Bowls, uh, you know, I went back and watched some of those games, and, like, I mean, Bradshaw had a freaking cannon. Yeah. He just didn't throw the ball a ton back then. Right. That's right. And he could throw the ball downfield. He was an incredible downfield passer. He just, you know, it, like, if you plug Bradshaw – in like Bruce Arian system today, he'd probably be a, a great, great player. But you know. and one of the all-time great ball quarterbacks, which I'm all about. That's true. Who doesn't love a good ball quarterback? All right, uh, Sean, you had a different AFC team you wanted to discuss, and that team is the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, Debo, do we know who wrote this one? Just want to give proper credit. Find out shortly. Okay, I did not come up with this list. Um, I actually good, think it's good, pretty good. good. Good Ryan question, though, by the way. Ask a question you, you, you have to be fairly confident Debo doesn't have the answer to directly in front of him to a guy who's muted on the podcast and then let the silence speak for itself as Debo scrambles, face okay. blushing, trying to figure out who wrote the Chargers piece. Great, Great job. preparation. Octan Fora wrote this one. JLC. Oh, okay. So he's got Don Coriel for the coach, Dan Fouts at quarterback, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson, Junior Seau, and Lance Altworth. Uh, 
I wanted to bring up the Chargers specifically because Dan Fouts is over Philip Rivers, and I have one more hypothetical player you could swap in for a position player. But first, I did want to get Brinson's take on Dan Fouts over Philip Rivers. Yeah, well, uh, actually, finding out that Locke and Fora did it is particularly interesting because I know that um, JLC has been doing a like he has been putting an impetus on older players or he feels like the older players deserve more consideration when you're talking about the franchise approach to it. And so I think when you're, when you're you're like, you know, that's probably why you decided to go with Don Coriel over uh, Mike McCoy. Um, Cause that thought that would get a laugh. That didn't, that didn't even, I was like, wait a second. Who's Mike McCoy? (laughs) (laughs) I I get a little chuckle off Mike McCoy. No, I mean, but Dan Fouts is a hall of fame quarterback with an incredible resume. who put up monster stats at a time when, you know, teams weren't necessarily throwing the ball as much. Yeah, you were just talking about Terry Bradshaw having a strong arm and, you know, rarely throwing the ball downfield. 1981, Dan Fouts had 4,800 passing yards. Yeah, he led the league in passing yards four straight, four consecutive seasons, led the league in passing touchdowns twice, led the league in passing completion or completion percentage once, led the league in passing yards per game six times, led the league in net yards per attempt passing. Uh, let's see, how many times is that? Six. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he had, like, he had two just, I mean, he had, a, he had a couple monster seasons. And in 1982, when he only played nine games, must have gotten hurt, 320 yards per game on average. It's crazy. Yeah. Is any, did anyone average? He led that? the league in passing yards. No, no, that was the strike season, right? Oh, okay. There we go. Thank you. 82. Yeah. Yep. So, Brent, let me ask you this. So, Rivers, Chargers, crew is done to say 10 years pass. We know what he did with the Chargers. Are you swapping Fouts for for Rivers now that? Yeah, I mean, I would personally put Rivers ahead of Fouts now, and I think that in five years, when Rivers has presumably retired, uh, Rivers will be. Well, well, here's the thing: if you do a Mount Rushmore, they're both on there. So I'm saying, I mean, yeah, it's the same. It's a, it's a it's a homeless man's version of the Steelers with Bradshaw and, and Roethlisberger. <laughs> it is. is outside of a soccer stadium. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, like these guys, Fouts and Rivers don't have any rings, and Big Ben and Bradshaw have six, right? Yep. So, t- to me, it's it is like if you're doing the Mount Ru- if you're doing the Mount Rushmore, you can only pick four guys for the Chargers. I think it's obviously like Ladainian Tomlinson is the, is the number one guy. It's probably ooh, that'd be tough though. You go Tomlinson, Seau, Fouts, and Rivers. Is that right? What'd you say? Yeah, Tomlinson, Seau, Fouts, and Rivers. Lance Allworth actually played. I, I watched Dan Fouts play when I was really young. Allworth was long gone by that point. I don't think they, their careers collapsed. <laughs> collapsed. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cross. <laughs> Good Lord. I forgot how to talk. <laughs> what was the word you just used? I know. We don't really need to worry about it's it. Like, it's like crap or something. But anyway, um, I don't think I saw him play. So I don't have any real sense for how good he is other than looking at his PFR page. Well, yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm obviously in the same boat, and I was going to bring up Lance Allworth because I do wonder if you would consider putting Antonio Gates yeah. for him. Because, and again, different eras and whatnot, but if you, even though Gates played tight end, if you compare their numbers, Gates actually has the far superior receiving numbers well, yeah, uh, than Allworth. But I'm looking at Allworth's numbers. So he played from 62 to 72, so I, I clearly I wasn't even alive when he quit playing, which tells you how old he is. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven straight thousand plus receiving seasons, including sixteen hundred and thirteen hundred yards in back to back years in the sixties. 
That is bananas. But I still think Gates, yes, and obviously the errors are different, but I think what Gates did as a tight end and not a wide receiver also fits that same type of line of reasoning where Gates was putting up these monster numbers at a position group that doesn't normally put up those numbers. Well, I, I mean, mean, he's seventh all time in touchdown catches. No, I understand that. But Kellen Winslow, the original Kellen Winslow who played with Fouts was also, I don't know what his long-term stats are, but I remember when he was, when I was watching in the eighties, he was, he was also dominating. He played from 79 to 87. Winslow is 166th all time in touchdown catches. I also think when you sort of look at, I don't know. I mean, the Chargers had, uh, I mean, they had a great run where they fit, they won the division three straight years from, uh, 79 to, to 81. And, Corey, I don't know. I, I think I think when you think about the dominant Chargers teams, like the most dominant Chargers teams, that stretch of Schottenheimer to Turner from like 04 to 09, and I realize that Rivers didn't start you know his first year, uh, but you know, even, even if you want to say like what 06 to 06 to 2010, maybe I mean like that was like those Chargers teams were legitimate Super Bowl contenders. Was 06 to 14 and 2 miss field goal in the playoffs? It's uh, yeah, 06 is the one that we talked about with Brian Schottenheimer on this podcast. It wasn't even the no, it wasn't the miss field goal, it was the uh Marlon McCree fumble uh, interception to Tom Brady that then got he fumbled when Troy Brown knocked it out of his hands. Patriots recover, go down score and and then win it overtime, I believe. Um but yeah, I mean there's it was Well, like, the reason I said field, they they missed a tying field goal with with 8 seconds left. Yeah, right 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 right. right. Okay, yeah. I mean th- it was it was the birth of this of your precious little Rivers looks to the sky as the season ends. I mean like it was just the birth of the bad luck Chargers, you know? Like that that's that's sort of what it was, but those teams, man, they were stacked. Uh and I think I mean you can make a case that it's Gates, LT, Rivers and Fouts as for the for the Mount Rushmore. So I I, I don't have a problem with JLC. I think it's very close. Um, when you look at, when you look at that team, uh, an even tougher team, and it's sort of a similar, I don't know if this is even similar, but it's like a very poor man's version when you talk about historical decisions to make. I, I had the Texans and I was assigned to write the Texans. The Texans is a hard one to do because you have to have a coach and you have to have a quarterback, which means David Carr. Well, you, okay. But you have to have a coach, which means you have to pick one of Dom Capers, Gary Kubiak, and Bill O'Brien. And for as big a punching bag as Bill O'Brien is, I mean, Dom Capers won like 16 games in five years, and Gary Kubiak has a sub-500 record with the Texans, and Bill O'Brien has like won four division titles. How could you not pick Bill O'Brien? It's Bill O'Brien. I don't think it's even a conversation. It just seems insane in the offseason where he traded DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson that we're yeah. picking no, Bill O'Brien. Yeah. If you're doing the Mount Rushmore, it has to be Bill O'Brien, but you have to write underneath it as coach, comma, not GM, because it has to be clear that the GM stuff ain't working out quite so quite. Well, that's what I wrote in my piece. Is like, look, if this were a front office executive, Mount Rushmore, Rick Smith, I didn't say Rick Smith, but I mean like Rick Smith would be the if you had to pick a front office guy, it wouldn't be Bill O'Brien the GM. But Bill O'Brien the coach, I mean, it's a no brainer, right? Like Gary Kubiak, they had I mean, I think a little bit like with that the Chargers as well. When you think about the Houston Texans and what they had to deal with, like they had to, they had to play against, you know, uh, when you look at what Gary Kubiak had to contend with, it was a bunch of really good Steelers teams and a bunch of really good Patriots teams. And that's just sort of the history of these eight. Like that's what happened to the Chargers, you know? I mean, they said they, they ran into a, and Peyton Manning, not to mention Peyton Manning. I mean, like the AFC was stacked with elite teams 
who, and the Ravens were good at, at that time too. So I, I just think for Gary Kubiak to be running the Texans from 06 to 2013, good luck, pal. You're yep. in Peyton Manning's division. And even if you get out of it, you got to deal with Tom Brady and, and the Chargers and the Steelers. Like, that was a really tough time to be in the, the AFC. So let's see. I'm looking at the, at the, uh, average value, the career average value by pro football reference. Any thought about Dwayne Brown? He's pretty high on their list. Well, the, so let's so get did to you the, read the list yet. Yeah. No, I didn't read the list. Um, so Bill O'Brien, the coach, everybody can kind of agree. Uh, I went with Deshaun Watson over Matt Schaub. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, Matt Schaub led the league in passing one year. One year. I mean, Brock Osweiler was a second-round pick. I mean, that's okay. doesn't matter. With the what? I said Brock Osweiler was a second-round pick. I mean, that's great that he was a second-round pick. It's great that Matt Schaub led the, the, the league in passing. Well, one, year. one of those is a draft position. The other is an actual performance at an NFL level. And the know? third one is Deshaun Watson. That's my point. You roll with Deshaun Watson. Okay. I, I don't. I mean, Matt Schaub's career – all right, here's his – I mean, his career, remember, what's crazy about Schaub is that, and I, think he was backing up Michael Vick and the Texans, the, the Falcons traded him, I think for a second round pick. Third, was it a third round pick? I think it was a third, but I, um, either we were, way, that's, that's a lot of, we were working at Fan House, I think at the time. Yeah. Cause I remember it being sort of a, like, a, it was a big, it was kind of a big, it was a big trade. And then he gets to Houston and plays well his first season, uh, play, it looked like a game manager. You know, through the first two years, and then he led the league in passing yards and passing attempts and yards per game, and threw 29 touchdowns and 15 picks for that 2009 Texas team. They went nine and seven. Uh, eventually, we go 12 and four in 2012, and then they just cratered in 2013 when he led the league in uh, pick sixes. But you know, I don't. Know. I mean, like I think it's more of a Matt Schaub is just very uninspiring as a face of the franchise. That's the thing. If you put him on a statue or the Mount Rushmore and you have Deshaun Watson on your roster. Like, how do you, like, what are you doing? I mean, Deshaun Watson's only played three years. And they, I know, that's the crazy thing, to your point about how. And he's already close to chasing down Chubb, though. Right. In terms of, like, most. That was, that was sort of the other thing, too, is I, I took into consideration the idea that a year from now, if somebody, I didn't, I don't feel like somebody screenshotting it and be like, look at this moron who took Chubb over Watson when it's that close. And you could just, I could just eliminate those concerns by taking Watson. And no one, yeah, there's going to be, uh, not a single person is going to be banging their fist against the table for Matt Schaub over Deshaun Watson. Right. And you have to presume that barring Bill O'Brien, the GM trading Deshaun Watson, he's going <laughs> to play five more years for the Texans, right? Well, even if he gets traded, he'll probably play at a pretty high level still reinforcing your point. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, you know what? I will, um, whatever. If he gets traded, he won't be playing for the Texans. No, no, I know, but if he plays well. It still doesn't. Right, right, right. But I mean, like Matt, like Matt Schaub doesn't get credit for his, Years. I guess my point is, is that I would, um, I would, I think I would rather, like, I'll just, I will, I will take, I will take, uh, Watson, uh, assuming that he's going to play a little bit more time. And then, pre- you know, presumably you end up with a situation where he surpasses Matt Schaub in two years. Worst case scenario. And maybe he goes and wins a Super Bowl this year, as Sean has predicted. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and he passes him this year, but, but you, you get the point. For the rest of the guys, I went with, uh, JJ Watt, Andre Johnson, and DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think there's any real discussion about Andre Johnson and JJ Watt. They would both be, I think they would be number one and number two on the Mount Rushmore if you were doing the Texans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lamb dunk. 
Um, you know, looking at it, actually, Watts four years from 2000 and his best four years, 2012 to 2015. I mean, it's it's going to go down as one of the most dominant stretches of defensive play in NFL history. Yep. Like, it's better than Aaron Donald's best four years. Yeah, he plays outside, so it helps a little bit, but yeah. 17 sacks per season. It's insane. I mean, he, he was – and then he comes back in 2018 and, and you know, has a dominant year. He's an all-pro when he plays all 16 games. He's 31 now. It's basically about, you know, like, how long will he play? But I think I think J.J. Watt's a Hall of Famer. I don't think that's yeah. – probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, it's funny. There's some conversations, uh, on Steelers wish lists that JJ Watt joins mm-hmm. TJ and his brother Derek in Pittsburgh whenever his contract's up. Well, because it came out that JJ's not concerned about getting an extension because they think he's entering the final year. And that's what has sparked all these rumors now that he's, he wants oh, to go play. This is his final year in 2020. Yeah. That's why I think the rumors recently sprung nice. up again is because he said, I'm not worried about it. And everyone is now interpreting that as I want to go to Pittsburgh and play with my brother. Or, uh, I understand that they're not going to extend me because I'm 31 years old or I'll be 32. <laughs> exactly. You can't, I don't, even if he comes out and blows up, I don't see how you can extend him. I think you almost have to let him go. Right, and Watt, and Watt doesn't want to sign a deal after he only played in eight games. Like he's he's probably saying I'm an, I can go play in sixteen games, repeat my 2018 season, then someone will give me a good two year deal or something. I mean, a smart. If you're the Texans, it would not be smart to sign JJ Watt to like a three or four year deal. If I'm Kevin Colbert, the Steelers GM, I'm calling Bill O'Brien, the general manager, and offering up a seventh round pick for JJ Watt and see what happens. You might get him. You might get James Conner for JJ Watt. That's too <laughs> too much. Too much. I would give James Conner. Benny Snell. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those two guys. Uh, I I think it would take a lot for JJ Watt to be removed from the the Houston oh Texans Mount yeah. Rushmore. Like, I, I don't have, think they would need five guys to have Hall of Fame careers for the next ten years in order to get JJ Watt off this list. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, as well, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. That's the Dwayne Brown thing. Um, the question is like, would would you rather have Dwayne Brown or DeAndre Hopkins? I think DeAndre, but again, no one gets excited over a left tackle. Even though I remember when he was drafted, a lot of, a lot of, I think Virginia Tech, a lot of people weren't crazy. They didn't think he was the best left tackle or one of the best left tackles in the class, which just goes to show that it's hard to tell sometimes how college kids are going to turn out. And he obviously turned out to be really good. Um, got his way out of Houston. Again, not a great look for, for Bill. Oh, yeah. No, that was, that was the lead. It was like, both or both both the two guys under consideration were each traded for like mid round draft picks by Bill O'Brien, who was also on this list. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a very weird list to make for the Houston Texans. You wouldn't give any consideration to Arian Foster, would you? Oh, that's interesting. That's a good one. That is a good one. Um, he's not on this list because he was originally. Who was he originally signed by? He was an undrafted free agent. Do you know what his career average value is? I guess I'm is what I'm asking. Yeah. So the he's top seven. here's. Well, it's, yeah, he's, oh, you have it up to, yeah, it's Andre Johnson, JJ Watt, Dwayne Brown, Matt Schaub, Hopkins, Jonathan Joseph, Arian Foster, Chris Myers, Brian Cushing, Kareem Jackson, Whitney Merciless, Chester Pitts, Eric Winston, David Carr. That's the top. And, and Deshaun Watson is 21st. Behind Clowney. He'll pass Clowney this year. I'll tell you the disappoint, the, the one that I think would be personally disappointing because I didn't even consider him. Mario Williams. I knew you were going to say that. I'm surprised you didn't. Well, he only he only played five years for the Texans. Also, that was a year where they took Mario over Reggie Bush. 
because everyone thought Reggie Bush was going to go to Houston, and they took Mario. And it wasn't a bad pick necessarily. Reggie Bush had a good career, not a great career, and I think Mario was the same thing. But I don't think either one of those guys lived up to their expectations of being first or second. Yeah, I think because of where Mario Williams was drafted, you can't put him on – like I, he was a fine player, but he never, as Ryan said, lived up to the expectations that come with not even not just being the number one pick – but over a player like Reggie Bush, who I guess this was what, 2006? Yep. So I was like 14 and I just remember like not being able to understand why someone would have be taking Reggie Bush with the first pick. And I remember my dad was like trying to explain to me about like running backs and all this. You know, it's I funny. Just, like as 14, I was just like couldn't because like Reggie Bush was the best football player I had ever seen play, like period. So your dad was anti running backs early. That's what he I don't know if he was anti-running backs, but he was telling me that he was just like, don't expect Reggie Bush to do what he did at USC at the NFL. Like, that's just not going to happen. That was, uh, so that was 14 years ago. I was, um, working for Football Outsiders. I used to just do their, uh, like quick blog posts, which is basically three or four lines and you do four or five a day just to keep it updated. And I actually said, cause, um, at the time Adam Schefter was in NFL network and he said there's some conversations that, um, Mario Williams, not Reggie Bush, might go first overall. I just wrote in one of those blog posts that no one believes that. Everyone knows it's Reggie Bush. It's subterfuge, smokescreen season. And uh, Adam Schefter actually emailed me and said, wait and see. Uh, this is exactly what will happen. <laughs> Shut up. How have you never told that story? I know. <laughs> well, it was 2006. And now, you know, NFL Network wasn't huge then. Adam Schefter wasn't at ESPN. And I just I hadn't thought of that in forever. I just, I'll see if I can go find that email. Um, because I was like, all right, we'll see. <laughs> Did you reply? I can't remember. I'm sure I said something. Very I like that. Ryan tells us all about the time Dad's been blogged about his his Steelers blog, and he doesn't tell us this. I forgot about that. Yeah. No, he's like, we'll see. We'll so, to the effect that we'll see, and he he was right. Was his was his tone like? Was it like? He was a hey, pal. We'll see. Or was he like, Ryan Colin? I appreciate you writing up my report. Uh, however, we'll see. I, you have to remember, this is before social media, so that people aren't yelling and screaming at each other all the time. I think he was like, all right, smart guy, we'll see, but he wasn't being a jerk about it. Because, I mean, some numbnut wrote it on a, on a Football Outsiders blog post. Right, but, it. like, in 2000, 2005, 2006, like, there were five sites to read. Like, right. Deadspin wasn't even a thing. Like, if you like, you could read ESPN Page 2 and, like, Bill Simmons and all of this, but, like, for the most uh, part. Uh, I mean, you could read Hill, Hill Sox Steelers, too. Hill Sox Steelers. Wait, did you write it on Hill Sox Steelers, or did you write it on? Oh, Football Outsiders. You you could read Brossom.com back then. That's right. And was, uh, I think Joe Kinsey called it my weed blog, which is not <laughs> not, not remotely accurate, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm going to look up the Adam. I'll see if I can find the Adam Schefter. Email. See if you can find it because that's that's interesting. I mean, all, all my point is that is that like if a guy like Schefter put that report out there in 2006, you know, I mean, I don't know if he had a Google alert for himself or whatever, but if you wrote about it on Football Outsiders it's getting back to him probably pretty quickly. So I, I, I want to know what the tone of you writing yeah. it was. Be like, oh, no, that I don't know. I'm sure I was being snarky because also, and so this is something that I, I forgot about, and you know this too, back when we worked at Fan House in the uh, mid-aughts, mid to late aughts, the snarky stuff we wrote, we would, we would, I wouldn't even think about even putting on paper. Some of the headlines, some of the nonsense we said in these oh, I'm a hundred percent sure that Bill Simmons blocked me on Twitter because of something I wrote at Fan House. Oh, you're still you're blocked by Bill you're Simmons. Blocked by Bill no, Simmons. No, no, no. I saw him at the Super Bowl a few years ago and I was like, hey man, like I don't know if I said something, but uh, you Look, blocked me on Twitter still. No, I mean I apologize. Like I mean I know because you're apologizing for. Well I didn't, but like and maybe it was something I said to him on Twitter. Hell if I know, but we we covered media news too back then. Like and we used to do that at CBS. We don't do it as much anymore. Um I mean we when we were at Fan House you 
because we were so independent. We, got, we, we weren't independent. We felt independent, even though we worked for AOL. You know, we would write anything that happened at ESPN was like news at Fan House. Um, right. And, and like you could write whatever you wanted on a headline at, uh, at, at Fan House. Like you could, I mean, yeah, you could write whatever you, I mean, I'm trying to think of like, so like the, the bet, my favorite post that I ever wrote was, uh, it was like breaking colon Jamarcus Russell is fat. Oh my God. You wrote that? No, don't you remember? It was like somebody like reported. It was like that, like they had found Jamarcus Russell or like Jamarcus Russell had been spotted. He weighed up to 300 pounds. And I, I create, I, I did a, a Photoshop in MS paint. Of like a, a, a little round, like black circle with a number on it, and like two like stick legs because the the Raiders have black uniforms, Sean, um, and like little stick legs, and like and like it looked like a little three hundred pound man. I was like, we have we have like we have obtained uh, exclu- an exclusive photo of Jamarcus Russell like after the after the break, and, and I mean that was the stuff you could do back then. And yeah. I'm not saying it was good or I'm not saying it was good or bad, but you yeah, could have fun with it. Yeah. No, you definitely can't do that now. I don't even know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I won't go on, but yeah, it's definitely changed. Yeah. If you did that now, you're getting fired by CBS. Yeah, absolutely. With the old Brinson, Jamarcus Russell article won't come up. Uh, Well, all fan houses archives are deleted there. I think they linked to like sporting news or something like that. Um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's the whole. That's the whole thing with that. Uh, we have the breaches. Breach, John Breach would have been pretty good back in the day, right? He would have been snark, but he'd been snarky. I mean, I'm telling you, yeah. the stuff we would write was just so laced with sarcasm. You just can't do it. To, uh, what is it? Timemachine.org? I'll see if we can find it. Yeah, you can find some headlines. I need to go back and read some of the stuff I read. I wonder if I was just a terrible writer then. Probably. Go check out Back Porch. <laughs> yeah, they gave Ryan an entire section of the site to just run himself. Yeah, because they, they – What they was gave, the site? It was part of AOL, part of Fan House called Back Porch. That's because they moved all the bloggers, quote-unquote, out of the NFL, and they had to find places for it. They hired a bunch of, like, beat writers, yeah. and Jay Mariotti and all these other columnists uh, when this guy took over as the managing editor. And so Ryan's like, look, man, whatever you're doing doesn't seem like it's working. I can't, will you give me my own, like, subsection of the site? Me, Brinson, Steph Stradley, and Bacon, and MDS, Walger, or I guess MDS, MDS had left for PFT at that point. They're like, well, I'll just go right on back porch, uh, for Fan House. And we did that. And it was a, uh, I worked for Ryan. I use that term loosely work. Ryan was my boss. He would what happened, happen. What happened, Ryan? We, I remember, um, you won't believe, I was super anal retentive about getting things out on time. And I think Brinson had a weekly, um, gambling column. That's right. Just off memory, he never turned it in on time. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously. So this is why when you used to make our schedule and you'd get mad that Brinson didn't send them in in a timely manner, this was just like PTSD for you. That's right. Well, at this point, I had started working a separate full time, like I, I was working a full time, a different full time job. And Ryan had been moved over. I had turned down an AOL full-time offer, which is, seems insane then, because I was trying to double dip. And at the time, it seemed insane. Well, it didn't. No, I had a full. I was trying to double dip. No, I understand. But yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn, but they were paying pretty well at that point. 
No, but I, I was like, hey, if you will get, if you will match what I'm making from this company and what I make from you guys, the South of Pierce one. <laughs> All right, let's get it. I don't know what the hell is it? Diva, Diva's like, again, just can't stop these guys. Uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, John Breach and Jim Breach will tell you about the Bengals franchise five. There's a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, it's Debo here with a quick note. The Breaches, John and Jim, recorded this portion of the podcast on Friday. Sadly, on Sunday, one of the players they mentioned, Ken Riley, passed away at the age of 72. And he really was one of the franchise's all-time bests. Riley played 15 seasons for Cincy as a defensive back and had 65 career interceptions, a team record to this day. Condolences to his family. I don't trust Brinson and uh, noted Steelers fan slash Bengals hater Ryan Wilson to talk about the Bengals franchise five. So I'm going to do it by myself without them. Well, not by myself, because I have brought on my dad, who is the perfect guy to talk about the Bengals franchise five, because not only is the team's all time leading score, but he played with nearly every person on this list. Uh, so he really nobody knows the Bengals franchise better than him. Uh, Dad, thanks for coming on and talking about the Franchise Five with me. Thanks, John. Happy to do it. It's uh, kind of exciting. I always enjoy talking about the Bengals and you know, some of the great players that played there. Yeah, and let me say real quick that, so the rules of the Franchise Five, if you have listened to a Franchise Five podcast, are we have one coach, one quarterback, and three other players who are not quarterbacks. And uh, with the Bengals, our final list was Paul Brown, at coach, Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, Shad Johnson, and Isaac Curtis. And before I get to that, my dad's list, the panel that helped me put this list together consisted of my dad, Dave Lapham, who is the uh, Bengals color guy and has been with the Bengals radio network since 1986, played for the team for 10 seasons. He has been with the team for 44 or 52 years. And then our third person on the panel was Jeff Hobson, uh, we love him over at bangles.com. He has been there since 2000. I think he's the only senior writer at bangles.com that they have ever had. And before that, uh, he covered the team for seven years in the 1990s. So that is 27 years of covering the Bengals from Hobson. And then obviously my dad, 13 years in Cincinnati. And like I said, he played with Anthony Munoz, with Ken Anderson, with Isaac Curtis, three of the four guys on this list. And Paul Brown was the general manager slash president slash owner of the team. Uh, you know, for your entire tenure, except for the 92 season. So let's, let's start with Paul Brown because, you know, it seemed like it was a no brainer. He was unanimous. It had to be right. 
Yeah, you know, Paul Brown, if you look at the way the NFL is structured today, uh, the way it's run from, you know, from the organization's top all the way down to the way teams conduct, have team meetings and, and go through film study and have playbooks and take notes and, uh, you know, wearing a face mask or going to a movie the night before a game, you know, all these things and more, and they can't even putting transmitters and helmets in the 1950s to tell your quarterback the play. That was Paul Brown. He was so far ahead of him. Everybody else, full-time coaches, uh, nobody else had that. So Paul Brown is, is what the NFL is today. And if you, and, and the person that's best at describing that is probably Bill Belichick. He just loves Paul Brown and what he brought to the, what the NFL is. And, and that's been him. And, and that's why they go into the All-American Football Conference in the late 40s. And then they merged, a few teams merged into the NFL. And the, and the first year the Browns played, they win the NFL title. And that's partly because of the things that Paul Brown had put into place. And they could come in and beat the New York, I think it was New York Giants, but they come into the NFL and beat the teams just because the way he prepared teams. And it was, it was unbelievable. He's unbelievable, unbelievable innovative-wise. For the league. Yeah, and I, people remember leather helmets. Well, the reason they have face masks now, Paul Brown. Playbooks, Paul Brown. My dad mentioned a few things. Uh, game film, Paul Brown to scout opponents. That was Paul Brown. He did all that. And really with the Bengals, real quick, his Bengals tenure, he was the coach from 68 to 75. And I know one thing that you specifically mentioned is that, let me say the expansion teams back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or not in the 80s, 60s and 70s, they were horrible for the most part. The Bang, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 1976 were like the worst, worst team ever. I think they went 0 and 14. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, they were an expansion team in the late 60s. They were horrible until the 80s. And even then they were below average. Then you had the Bengals who came in the league in 1968 and they were in the playoffs by 1970. That was unheard of. That was an NFL record at the time. So he, he turned it around so quickly. Uh, and, and, and like you said, dad, it's because of these things that he came up with. He just, he knew what talent to look for. He did. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you, you drafted as a, your draft for the franchise, for the expansion team was the cast off players from the other teams. So it wasn't like you really had a great pool, maybe a good player that was at the end of his career. You didn't have a great pool of players and then you had the draft. So to be able to do that in two years was unbelievable. Uh, and it just shows because of his organizational skills and, and it, he believed in coaches coaching. I remember Weeb Eubank, who's in the Hall of Fame and coached the Jets to that 69 victory in the Super Bowl. Uh, Weeb was telling me how he was working with him in college. And one year he said, all right, you're the running back coach. And then he's, and then next year he goes, you're going to coach a defensive line. And he said, go back and forth, back and forth. He'd move the coaches around. Because coach, I, I'm not, I'm not a defensive line coach. I'm a running back coach. No, you're going to be a defensive line coach. Then you're going to be a wide receiver coach. Then you're going to be a defensive back coach. He said, what he was trying to do was allow us to learn every aspect of both sides of the football. So there'd be no question that we knew what was going on on our team and we could coach any aspect that we had to. So that way you could over, you could let your coaches coach, but you could also oversee what they were doing. And if they, if they were doing something that you could help them with, you were, you were able to do that. So I thought it was pretty amazing at the time because they didn't have huge coaching staffs like they have now. So you got a lot of coaching done, and uh, Weeb obviously did pretty well with it. Yeah, and, and since you brought up Weeb Eubank, I would be remiss 
If I did not mention that both we Eubank and Paul Brown went to Miami of Ohio represent, <laughs> uh, and, and that is the cradle of coaches. And right now we have two NFL coaches who went to Miami of Ohio, John Harbaugh of the Ravens, Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams. So it's, uh, we've been who doing you knew at Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sean and I were there at the same time. Uh, and, that's yeah. So they keep producing coaches. Well, let's get back to the franchise five real quick. Now let's go to the first two players because this these two were unanimous between you, Hobson, and Lapham. We didn't get any difference till a little bit later on. Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson. You played with both. I'll I'll just let you I'll just let you have the floor here. You can talk about whatever you want about both of them. I'll start with Anthony because that's easy. The greatest offensive lineman, the greatest tackle to ever play the game. That was an easy one. He's his athletic ability was just crazy. His balance. He, I don't think I ever saw him off balance the whole time I ever played. And what a technician. He worked so hard on his technique. I mean, these guys would be out half hour, 45 minutes before every practice working on their technique with Jimmy McNally. And literally, they would put a, you put the team up on the board, chalkboard, the defensive team. They go up and just erase Anthony's guy. <laughs> And say, all right, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about this guy. And then they would game plan the rest of the way. So that's, it was, I don't think you realize how good he was until he wasn't there. And then you realize how difficult it was, but he made it look so easy. This un, unbelievable and unbelievable preparation just in every aspect of the game. He was just a consummate professional and ability wise better than ever, anybody else. And real quick, I'll say on Munoz, uh, he was named first team all pro nine times. That is the second most in NFL history behind only Jerry Rice and Jim Otto. He played in both Super Bowls, as did my dad. And while Munoz was on the field during the entire decade of the 1980s, 80 to 89, uh, the Bengals offense ranked in the top four in total yards six times at a 10 or the, yeah, at a 10 seasons and the top four in points scored six times out of 10 seasons. So it was a dominant offense whenever Munoz was on the field. And now we can flip to uh, Ken Anderson. And Munoz is the only Hall of Famer in Bengals history who played his entire career with the Bengals or most of his career with the Bengals. Uh, of course, that number should probably be two because I think a lot of people think Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame. And he was the quarterback uh, on our franchise five. He got the, the, the nod over Boomer Esiason. Uh, Asaisen obviously won 1988 NFL MVP and did a fantastic job, but we gave it to Kenny because he was there longer and, and arguably should be a Hall of Famer. I agree. You know, it's kind of interesting. Ken Anderson came along with Bill Walsh, and Bill Walsh was trying to devise this offense prior to Kenny being there for one of the quarterbacks that struggled to get the ball down the field, so he wanted to do something that was quick, and and it, so it almost became like a long handoff. And the West Coast offense – kind of was born. And if you were Joe Montana or Steve Young or anybody else in San Francisco in the in the eighties, you watched film of Kenny Anderson running the teaching the West Coast offense. That's how much Bill Walsh thought of Kenny Anderson, that his guys in the eighties, these great quarterbacks they had learned from Ken Anderson film and what he had done and then watching him on an actual game film, but also also practice film. So Kenny, you know, during the, it's two different periods, you know, I mean, for the majority of the time we ran the ball a lot. They started to open the offense up a little bit more. 
after 79, when they got away from the bump rule, the five-yard bump rule, you can only do it five yards. That's really when the, the passing game opened up a lot. But uh, Kenny in the 70s, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers defenses in the 70s were unbelievable. You know, the four Super Bowls and those defenses were amazing. And yet Kenny's passing passer rating against those Steeler teams was probably 20 points, 20, 25 points higher than the league average against Pittsburgh. And if you ask guys on the Steelers if who should be, if he should be in the Hall of Fame, they'd say absolutely. He just uh, – and the Bengals always played the Steelers pretty tough, and part of it was because Kenny was able to keep them in the game offensively, which most teams couldn't stay with him because they uh, they couldn't score against him because their, their defense was so good. So Kenny, um, you know, is the only player to have consecutive years leading the league in passing in two different decades. He did. He's the only one to do it back-to-back two different times. There's so many things that he's done. I mean, he's the highest rate passer that isn't in. I mean, there's only, there's so many guys in that you look at their stats and you think, I don't get it. Uh, you know, errors are different. Uh, Kenny, Kenny transcended two seventies and eighties and it, there were two completely different, you know, run the ball a lot in the seventies, throw the ball a little bit more in the eighties, but I think he, uh, he was great in all of them. And MVP in our 81 Super Bowl year. Uh, kind of interestingly, he almost didn't even get to start in the second game. We played the first game against Seattle. He threw three interceptions in the first quarter. They bench him, bring in Turk Schoener. Turk Schoener leads us back to a victory. I think we end up winning 27-24. And Forrest Gray is going to start Turk Schoener the next week. Kenny goes in and has a sit-down with Forrest. And Forrest says, all right, I'll give you one more week. We go to New York Jets. We get down 14 to nothing, not because Kenny threw any interceptions. We end up coming back, winning the game 31-28. He goes on and wins the MVP, has a phenomenal year. And it was only because, you know, Forrest was able, was relented and said, yeah, you can give you one more week. Otherwise, Turk might have been the guy trying to take us to the Super Bowl. That's the inside information you only get on this podcast. The NFL MVP of 1981 almost got benched after week one. That is insanity. I don't think I ever knew that. Uh, and one other thing I know you mentioned uh, the Bill Walsh tie here. Bill Walsh and Kenny Anderson were together until 1975. And that's where Bill Walsh developed the West Coast offense. If Kenny Anderson flops, maybe Bill Walsh gives up and says, you know what? This offense can't work in the NFL. Uh, and doesn't take it to San Francisco. So maybe the 49ers need to write you guys some thank you notes uh, for those Super Bowl titles. But Kenny Anderson was so good that Bill Walsh knew it was going to work. And, you know, obviously took it to San Francisco where he got Joe Montana in 1979. <laughs> and that's, that's the West Coast offense everyone remembers, not the one that Bill Walsh and Kenny Anderson ran for four full years in Cincinnati from 1971 to 1975. The only other notes I'll throw in on Kenny Anderson is uh, that when he retired in 1986, he held the NFL record for consecutive pass completions in a game, highest co- uh, completion percentage in a single game, and completion percentage for an entire season. He completed 70.6% of his passes in 1982. Fast forward to 2020, there are currently only three quarterbacks in NFL history who have ever gone 70.6 or higher. It is Kenny Anderson, Drew Brees, who's done it multiple times, and Sam Bradford. So I don't know how Sam Bradford snuck in there. But that tells you how good he was in an era where quarterbacks had the rules against them. Um, so, yeah, and he set the Super Bowl record for a completion percentage in Super Bowl 16. 
That has since been passed. It's now the seventh highest. And yards too. And, yeah. In the game. So he has, he has been, uh, he's got a strong argument for versus the quarterbacks of his era who got in. He has similar, better numbers than most of them. So, right. uh, what he doesn't have is a Super Bowl title. And that is probably a sensitive topic. I, I have a problem when, when they put so much emphasis on having titles because you're one guy, you can't, you can't play defense. You know, you can, there's only one part of the game you're, so it's a team game. It's, it's such a team game that I, I feel bad for those guys that are frowned upon because they didn't win a title, but you know, it's a whole team. The team's got to do it. And we, we should have won that game in uh, Super Bowl 16, but unfortunately the 49ers, uh, we're able to make, they made the plays and we didn't. And then, all right, we'll move on from Kenny and we'll go to the last two just quickly because they weren't, they weren't unanimous. There was a little, this is where we got into some debate. Uh, but Chad Johnson, I think the feeling here was that he kind of lifted the team out of the dark ages. Uh, you know, you look from 1991 to 2000, the Bengals, that's the lost decade. Nobody wants to remember it. If you're, uh, that is, that is where you, you just erase it from the record book. And if you're a Bengals fan, you don't think about it. Um, and, and so they didn't, the franchise was a disaster. Then you, in 2001, you draft Chad Johnson and all of a sudden, He's that spark that kind of lighted, you know, what the team became from 2001 to 2010. Yeah, Chad was a unique personality, as we know, and many have seen. And But he brought some interest in Cincinnati football. And plus, uh, Carson Palmer threw the heck out of the ball. So getting those two on the field. And the, and the Bengals had some pretty good seasons in there. So they became irrelevant when they hadn't been relevant at all. And Chad was fun. He made the game fun. And it, it was fun to have him around. And, it, you know, not only was was he fun, but he was a good player. He led the AFC in scoring four con, or uh, in receiving yards four consecutive years. No player has ever done that in the history. Jerry Rice never led the NFC in uh, receiving yards four years in a row. So, you know, Chad was a great player and uh, had, had fun doing it. You know, he was – it was fun every week. You know, he, he has listed his locker and all these things and, and the river dance and all the things he did. And he went and uh, proposed to a cheerleader on the sidelines. He came up with different. He was very innovative. Uh, a lot of guys would love to do the things he was doing today when they're allowed to do it. So I give him a lot of credit. So, yeah, Chad, besides being the all-time leading receiver, uh, has had a he had a great career in Cincinnati. Yeah, and one thing I think is important, it does feel like he was before his time because you see all this, the, uh, these touchdown dances ending up on Twitter or going viral. But like Chad Johnson kind of started that. Everybody would, even people who were not Bengals fans, they wanted to know what Chad was going to do next. You mentioned the river dance. You mentioned the, the cheerleader, cheerleader proposal, the list in his locker, uh, the time he brought out the Hall of Fame jacket, the time he came out in the Ocho Cinco jersey, even though the NFL said he couldn't, but then really it was just Velcro and he had Carson Palmer tear it <laughs> off. Uh, the, the time he CPR, he gave CPR to a football. Uh, one time he scored a touchdown and kicked the camera operator out of the booth and used the camera to film his teammates celebrating his touchdown. Uh, so he was just fun to watch and fun. Uh, just wasn't something Bengals fans were having before he came up on the scene. So yeah, I think Chad Johnson absolutely deserves to be on this list. And I think the, the final spot on this list was pretty much came down to Ken Riley and Isaac Curtis. Dad, I know you had Ken Riley on your list. He did not end up making the final cut, but he is, look, he's fifth all-time in interceptions in NFL history. 
Every single person in the top eight is in the Hall of Fame, except for him and Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson is going to be, uh, so he will be the only person in the top eight of interceptions not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so it is disappointing. I think that, you know, Ken Riley and, uh, uh, Ken Anderson both kind of snubbed, but Ken Riley did have another good cornerback and Lamar Parrish was also in our honorable mention. So you had kind of two good bangles. Uh, and so instead our fourth guy went to Isaac Curtis. You got to spend, a few years with him, uh, four years. Isaac is, was one of the great players of our era. He was the national champion. He, he won the hundred. He went to Cal. He started off at Cal for three years, my alma mater. He won the hundred as a freshman. So he was a track star to go along with, matter of fact, he went to training camp versus going to, um, the Olympic trials one year. So, I mean, he was that fast that he could, he could have a chance to run in the Olympics. Isaac was just smooth. Everything he did was just so cool. Uh, different era though. I mean, I don't think he ever caught 50 passes in a year. He never had a thousand yards receiving, but he was unbelievable at what he did. So it was just, uh, he was amazing. Isaac, well deserved. Uh, I threw out, I threw out Ken Riley because, uh, he didn't have a defensive player. Uh, represented and, and Rattler was great. And really for what they did for their eras, unbelievable players. And, uh, Isaac was, he was incredible. He was absolutely incredible. And, uh, the five yard bump rule is when I was with the Raiders, we're sitting through the meeting talking about the new rule changes and that five year, my 79 season with the Raiders and the referees called it the Isaac Curtis rule because he would get, they couldn't, they couldn't guard him down the field. So they beat him up at the line of scrimmage and then uh, all the way down the field. So that way he was able to get free. Uh, and that really is what freed up what's gone on with the offenses because you're able to, rather than people beating you up down the field, they can't touch you. Well, they, they not supposed to touch you, right? But uh, they don't, they don't do the same things they did before. Yeah. And I think that that is a big reason he's on the list because, you know, part of making these lists is what kind of impact of these people. We talked about the Ken Anderson, Bill Walsh dynamic that maybe the West Coast offense doesn't exist. But with Isaac Curtis, it was the five yard bump rule, the Isaac Curtis rule. Look, before Isaac Curtis, the cornerbacks could just tackle the receiver and nothing was called. There's no holding penalty. There's no pass interference. Uh, the Bengals went to the playoffs, I think in 1973, uh, Curtis's rookie year. He was tearing it up. No one could stop him. He ended up one catch for nine yards. Dolphins were tackling him all over the pace place. Paul Brown got irate, said the rules had to change, and that is why the change the five-yard bump rule happened. Uh, and so, yeah, so Isaac Curtis is a big reason why modern receivers have the freedom they do now. Uh, and that is our list. Boomer Sides was our first quarterback off who didn't make the cut. Uh, I mentioned that Marvin Lewis, first coach off who didn't make the cut. And, uh, Dad, I appreciate you uh, – talking to me with the franchise five you are going to join me tomorrow tuesday morning uh and we are going to do our all 32 on the bangle so look forward to talking to you then and thanks for joining me now that's awesome thanks john all right check your feeds and uh you'll hear more breach and breach dialogue coming at you tuesday morning